0: Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. This last week, the Sunday Times printed an article that definitely caught my attention. It described a concern that there's a major factor missing in the lives of children and young people, and the lack is causing all kinds of mental health problems. The missing component of life, according to the article, is risk. The NHS has warned of a national emergency, suggesting a quarter of 17 to 19-year-olds are likely suffering from a mental health condition. There are months-long waiting lists for talking therapies and schools are trying everything from mindfulness classes to therapy dogs to support anxious teenagers. It's easy just to point to the ravages of the pandemic as the cause with school cancellations, isolation and uncertainty combining to take a punishing toll. But there are some academics that are suggesting that exposing young children to limited opportunities for risk may be critical if they're to flourish later in life in a paper to be published in the journal of paediatrics peter gray a professor at boston college in the usa argues that the primary cause for the rise in mental disorders is a decline over decades in opportunities for children and teens to play roam and engage in other activities independent of direct oversight and control by adults In other words, so-called helicopter parenting may be harming children's mental health. Studies show that children play outside now much less than their parents did. That was certainly true for me. Sent off to the local park at the beginning of the day and not expected home before tea time, I certainly knew the freedom of roaming. Children today are not on average allowed to play unsupervised until they are 11, two years older than their parents were. 50 years ago, most children of primary school age walked to school. Today, it's virtually unheard of until a child is at least 10. And then playtimes have become more controlled as schools grapple with safeguarding rules. Research suggests 5% of schools have banned playing tag due to the risk of injury. Now, as The Sunday Times report says, safeguarding is important because no one wants to go back to the kind of 1970s complacency that allows the likes of the monstrous Jimmy Savile to flourish. But it seems that attempting to eliminate risk can be counterproductive. Parents who think that they're doing their best for their children may be storing up trouble for them. In short, taking some risks surely is part of growing up. So thinking about risk, what about us? As followers of Jesus, we too are called to take risks, not least in the fact that we offer our lives, our choices, our allegiance to someone that we cannot see, Jesus. And keeping in step with Jesus may well get us into some hot water. So let's talk about taking risks and when not to take risks, tonight on Lucas on Life. Right from the start, I knew that my risky decision to take scuba diving lessons was a huge mistake. This dawned on me as I poured myself into a rubber wetsuit that apparently had been created for a six-stone supermodel. I donned fluorescent yellow fins that were bright enough to be seen from Jupiter and attempted, so dressed, to amble nonchalantly to the swimming pool for the introductory session. One is supposed to look relatively relaxed and cool when one is walking by the side of a swimming pool. Ever tried strolling casually while dressed like a fat beach sea lion with custard-coloured feet? I was grateful that no one threw me a fish, but embarrassed that my fins slapped the concrete pulse around with each step, forcing me to lift each foot high before placing it down. The seal meets the ministry of silly walks. Very uncool indeed. The diving instructor was waiting. He was a bronzed gladiator with jet black design of fins and muscles in places where I don't even have places. His flyaway blonde hair was bleached the colour of summer straw by the sun. He looked like a Nordic god. In stark contrast, the top of my flaking head was broiled the colour of a dead lobster by the same sun. As for Nordic, I've never even been to Norway. It was time to manoeuvre the heavy oxygen tank onto my back, I fought and struggled for five minutes to get the wretched thing on, and the instructor threw his tank up in the air, which landed perfectly on his freckled shoulders. Great! We completed the the try-breathing-underwater-in-the-swimming-pool thing, and so Thor, the instructor, decided we were ready for the ocean. Nervously, I climbed into the back of the van that took us to the beach. Then they told me that oxygen would not be needed for the drive. I got out of the van and wrestled my way out of the wretched tank, but I left my flippers on for the journey. All right, I admit it. Looking back on it, the ocean diving was exhilarating, a jump into another world, and I'm glad that I took that risk. Great shoals of fish, sprinkled with rainbow colours, weaved and darted around me in a perfectly synchronised dance. A huge crouching octopus held a shadowy court in a cave 120 feet down. I later discovered that we actually shouldn't have gone below 40 feet. During a later night dive, we sat on the bottom and shone our underwater torches up, which exposed swirling plankton, a drive-through fast-food joint for manta rays. Great spaceship-like mantas lined up to glide over us and feed in the light, dive-bombing us in slow motion and rubbing their bellies on our heads as they did. With my short, spiky haircut, I was a big hit with the mantas. I'm no male model on land, but in the world of the manta rays, I'm a pin-up. Richard, our son, became more and more confident in the presence of the instructor. During the night dive, our 13-year-old lad had got into some trouble. First, a moray eel wrapped itself around his leg, and then one of the manta rays got its wing caught up in his scuba gear. Suddenly, he was being swept off into the dark deep at high speed. The instructor, lightning-quick reactions ever sharp, saw the emergency, reached out, and disentangled our son in an instant. Richard thought the instructor was great. After all, in a sense... He had saved him, but after a couple of days of diving, the instructor told us something that I believed to be mildly heretical. He said that it was a great privilege for a diver to swim with sharks. There were plenty of sharks in the area. Would we like to have a swim with them? I pondered this offer for at least half a second and said no in five different languages and accompanied this with much shaking of the head. It was a ridiculous idea, a privilege to swim with potential predators. Pah, I haven't even looked up sharks in my mental concordance and couldn't find a single biblical verse to support this unscriptural notion of swimming with sharks. But my teenage son, Richard, believed the instructor. Sitting on the boat, he scanned the surface of the waves for sharks, waiting hopefully. At last, a menacing fin was circling the boat, prompting me to hum the theme music from Jaws. Look, Richard, there's a... splash. Richard was already gone, gone over the side, in the water, where that fin was, and the instructor went in after him, and they were gone for about five years, or so it seemed. I shouted, prayed, begged, and wished that I'd taken up gliding or ferreting or dominoes. A few minutes later, Richard and the instructor emerged dripping and triumphant. I performed the welcome sequence from the parable of the prodigal son. Dad, don't be daft, Richard said. Look, the instructor said it would be okay, and he was with me. I'm fine. Richard's philosophy was simple. The man said it would be okay. The man is with me, therefore, I will swim with sharks. I will take the risk. It seems to me that Jesus offered us a similar logic when he responded to dozens of questions with just one answer. I am with you. Sounds cliche, a throwaway line? Not a bit this was not bravado or hollow rhetoric but the assurance of someone who wrestled death into submission who stared straight into the sulphuric eyes of satan and who has declared that he is the one who stands astride death and hell itself he is with us and that knowledge takes us beyond christian moralism or evangelical activism It takes us back to a bravery that is not just based in believing the right things, but is centered around the fact that he has committed himself to journey with us. That means we can be obedient. We can go where we haven't been. And yes, we can take what appear to be risks, because there will never be another moment of aloneness for us who have invited him to be the master and instructor of our lives. Let's ponder that and wonder and look with new eyes, especially when sharks appear to be circling or a risk of faith, a leap of faith needs to be taken. He is with us. Keith and Kristen Getty with Facing a Task Unfinished. We're talking about risk and remembering once again the day when my son Richard jumped out of a boat brings to mind one of my favorite Bible stories, when Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. But the fact is that while Peter did walk on the waves, his friends, the other disciples, didn't. They stayed put and they earned no rebuke from Jesus for doing so. The vital key for would-be wave surfers is this. Peter jumped ship literally because Jesus told him to do so. John Ortberg helps clarify this in observing that this story is more about obedience than it is about just risk-taking. Peter was responding to a command, therefore we need to discern the authentic call of God from our own impulses. As John Ortberg says, Matthew in his gospel is not glorifying risk-taking for its own sake. Jesus is not looking for bungee jumping, hang gliding, day trading, tornado chasing pinto divers. This is not a story about extreme sports. It's about extreme discipleship. Again, Peter only got out of the boat because he was commanded to. And we can't do anything we want to do, but only that which is commanded by Jesus. Where his command is not, our limits are. Now, I can hear somebody protest, well, the apostle Paul announces, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There you have it, all things, anything. But look again, because bluntly, you and I, we can't do anything. I can't fly without tickets, give birth to twins, play the bassoon, or speak Cantonese. If it's Christ who strengthens me, that means he will only surely strengthen me to fulfill his calling in my life. Instead of constantly telling people that they can do anything, perhaps we should teach more about all of us knowing our limits and spheres. So, in all of this talk about risk, how can we avoid stepping out of the boat and drowning when we're not doing so because Jesus is beckoning. One way is to be sober in self-assessment. Paul says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Recognizing our God-given abilities and using them is vital, but it's also important to know when we come to the edge of our limitations and be willing to say, this one is too much for me. We need to ask God for wisdom, to know the difference between a comfort zone and a sphere. We should be willing to step out of the first and be hesitant to go beyond the boundaries of the second. When we step out of a comfort zone, it's an act of faith. When we step beyond a sphere, it's an act of foolishness. So... In wrapping all this up, when Peter stepped out of the boat, what appeared to be a step of incredible risk, he was stepping out of a comfort zone. But when, do you remember that moment when he sliced off the high priest's servant's ear? He stepped out of his sphere, becoming a mercenary rather than a disciple. Our friends can help us in discerning our limits as we nurture truth-telling relationships. Once upon a time, many years ago, I was an occasional worship leader. Thankfully, the day came when a trusted but unsubtle friend told me that worship leading was not really my primary gift and that the body of Christ would probably let out a collective sigh of relief if I would pack my guitar away forever. I'm glad he spoke up. Recognizing what I couldn't do was a painful but enlightening step on the pathway of discovering what I could do. Today, we might want to walk on water if Jesus is calling us to take a particular step. That looks, in human terms, risky. But before we hop overboard, we might consider the possibility that it may be far better for us and others around us too if we stay in the boat. When he calls us, let's risk. When he doesn't, let's at very least be cautious. See you next week on life.